Wonder Things Studios proudly presents the Roundtable Podcast, Episode 74. Literary Alchemists. I'm Terry Mixon. And I'm Dave Robison. And you've tuned into the Roundtable Podcast. On the Roundtable Podcast, we invite writers to come onto the show to pitch a story idea to us and our esteemed guest host. And then we dive into it, exploring what works and what doesn't, and trying to transform that raw idea into literary, literary gold. gold. Uh, you say that so well, Master Mixon. <laughs> uh, I'm just following you, my man. Ah, uh, following my lead. Dude, speak unto me before we dive into this awesomeness. Uh, uh, speak unto me of Veil of Shadows and and its ensuing uh, uh, sequel, or I guess the third in the series now. Third how in the series. Th- how are things coming? Command Decisions is due back from the beta readers in about two weeks, and I imagine another week or so after that. So beginning of March, it'll be out. Wow. Dude, that's like bam, bam, bam. You're going to have a trilogy out inside of a year, aren't you? Oh, that, that's nothing, my friend. When I stop working at NASA in the end, at the end of April, then I'm going to have all the time I want on my hands. I'm going to be trying to do six or eight novels in the year, and I think I'll, I'll make that easily. God, working full time, you're cranking out three in a year. I, I, would, I should certainly help. We're going to need to set up like a, another wing in the library, the Mixon wing, and <laughs> to, 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 to house all of your tales. Dude, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. The story that I went with you and we did the um, brainstorming on, Yeah, it's almost halfway written, oh, so it dude. should be done in the next month and a half. Dude, when that goes out, we can knight you. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> no, that's the deal. You know that's the deal here at the round table. You, 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 write, you write that book that you pitch and we knight you. Dude, I will, I, will, I will look forward to that. I'll start sharpening the swords now, baby. I'll send you the beta copy when it's ready. I would look forward to that. I would look forward to that. Let's uh, uh, let let's roll on to the awesomeness. Awesomeness behind us already. We're getting into the awesomeness. Let's just continue that vibe uh, uh, and and bring back our guest host, uh, dear friends, returning from uh, a splendid twenty minutes of writerly discourse uh, of just a week ago. Please welcome back to the big chair here at the roundtable, Master Jake Kerr. Jake, dude, we had a great time during the twenty minutes with that was a. Fa- discussion and i gotta tell you i am pumped to workshop a story with you sir welcome back oh thanks that was a lot of fun and uh you know the the shots helped <laughs> they limber you up don't they 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 it they, 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 was uh you know kind of uh, uh liquid uh you know uh, calisthenics yes <laughs> I'm a writer and I can't come up with a word. This is not going to go well. <laughs> Another shot. Another shot. Do it. That's right. Hold on. <laughs> I'll, I'll get my my liquid vocabulary working here. Uh, uh, Jake, uh, uh, you have have already blazed an intriguing trail uh, uh, across the literary frontier with with your short fiction and uh, uh, with your your middle grade novel Tommy Black and the Staff of Light. I, I can only assume you've not been resting on your laurels, being the diligent wordsmith that you are. So, so I'd like to take just a couple of minutes and, and share with our listeners, if you will, what's coming up in the world of Jake Kerr? Well, a couple of things. There's a, uh, a story in Wastelands 2 that's actually uh, a story that we talked about last week. It's a reprint of Biographical Fragments, The Life of Julian Prince. So uh, I've got uh, you know some anthology stuff. I've got another story that's coming up in the Apocalypse Triptych. So I haven't, I haven't kind of pushed aside 
the short fiction, as it were. Uh, and then, you know, for the rest of the year, it's really going to be all about uh, novels. I have uh, the second book of the Tommy Black and the Staff of Light called uh, Tommy Black and the Coat of Invincibility. And Ooh. that's going to be out in two months. And then uh, after that is Tommy Black and the Cup of Jamshid, which is uh, uh, all three artifacts, which you eventually will find out are part of Persian mythology. Ooh. And uh, it is a trilogy that uh, kind of uh, is set in World War II and, and follows uh, a, a trail across Europe and uh, Persia as uh, we have jinn and magicians and illusionists and uh, magical artifacts uh, fighting Nazis and looking for uh, royalty. It should be a lot of fun. I Dude, hope that that just pulls in every awesome thing you can possibly <laughs> squeeze into one novel. That's there, fabulous. Unfortunately, there are no ninjas or pirates, but the third <laughs> book has not been written yet. <laughs> There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> book four. That's what book four will be. There you go. There you Talk go. Black the... and pirates and, ninja, and ninjas. That's <laughs> no. And then, uh, you know, after that, I, I've, uh, I, I have not forgotten that I actually do write science fiction. And uh, after that, uh, I'll be uh, writing a science fiction novel that is uh, true science fiction. Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail about that, but it involves uh, memory and uh, the recent past and how we can uh, go back and re-experience our lives and what that means. It's uh, I'm very much looking forward to writing that. So Intriguing. God, you've, you've got a busy year ahead of you. That's what, four four novels and uh, 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 numerous short stories? Well, one and a half were already written, so we'll... Uh, okay. I'm, I'm no Terry Mixon, that's all I'm... <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. we, we all uh, aspire. You're much better than I, sir. Uh, <laughs> I'm aspiring. I'm an aspiring Terry Mixon, absolutely. Jake, do you do uh, uh, conventions at all? I am uh, actually a guest at Comic Palooza in Houston, Terry, so I'll be down in your neck of the woods. Uh, we must a- do lunch. All right, we will do lunch. That is a uh, a threat, if not a uh, uh, an offer. Uh, and no, no Harlan Ellison demons need be involved in this lunch, <laughs> by the way. No fax okay. machines were harmed in the recording <laughs> of this message. Uh, but generally, I, you know, I I, uh, I I don't do too many conventions because uh, it's going to sound like a total cop out. But uh, I do a lot of travel, and I'm fairly busy. And uh, just getting the writing done is uh, a challenge enough. So uh, getting uh, uh, if if I'm going to do a convention, that means I'm taking time away from my family, and that's uh, that's difficult for me. So, but you. you know what? When I can make time for it uh it will happen and uh, i wasn't going to do comic palooza but then i heard terry lived in uh down in nasa land and i said <laughs> i'm totally going there change your mind change, change your mind. mind that totally. happens a lot <laughs> i wanted to see i actually you know i heard there's a uh, a nasa library and i wanted to go to the terry mixon wing um, <laughs> <laughs> well and, and speaking of, of terry mixon now now terry you're looking at uh uh leaving the august halls of nasa uh in a, in a couple months uh what are your plans besides the, the the completion of of the empire of bones and 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 veil of shadows and the com- command decision is that the third one command decisions yeah the uh, my plans are my wife has plans of continuing to search for me to get another computer job somewhere so ah, that okay. may that may in turn happen as well <laughs> but while she does that I'm going to go ahead and, and treat my days just like I was working. Get up in the morning, work on my writing for eight hours, then do that, go back to bed and repeat it later. For instance, do it repeat. again and again. Dude. So if, if I can manage to, to pull off anywhere between four and 5,000 words a day, I can see getting eight or 10 drafts done during the year. 
So we'll see how well that actually plays out in reality. That's my, <laughs> that's what I would love to do. We'll see how it actually works out in practice. How many words do you usually uh, write in an hour or two? Uh, if you're, um, if you're anywhere a, between 750 and 1,000. 750 and 1,000. So yeah, I, I totally think you could pull that off. Absolutely. 8,000 words a day? Hell yeah. Uh, yeah well, I, I see, and, and he was smart though, Dave. Did you hear? He said four to 5,000 words. And I think that's a big thing that people, you know, writers, when they're, uh, at least, you know, I can't say that I've experienced this, but I've, I've read enough about it that, you know, they, they become full-time writers and they sit down and they take their hourly output and they multiply by eight. <laughs> that doesn't happen. And, and that doesn't happen and they get kind of disappointed. But I think, uh, Terry, you're, you probably have the, uh, the proper point of view there. And I, I, I think you're going to do really well. Well, thank you. That's, that's what I do on the weekends is I get up at my normal work time and I write and I know that I can pull off between four and 5,000 words and after five, it starts to become a, a drag and it's getting later in the evening. So I know what I can do. I've, I've got the experience now. I just need to do it every single day. Yeah. That's going to be the challenge is getting into the habit of doing it every day. I think it's going to be a rush for you, too, because you love this so much. I do. It's it's fun. <laughs> That's really cool. Outstanding. Gentlemen, I will make sure all of that gets into the liner notes for this episode. And dear friends, clicky clicky on those links and, and check out the fabulosity uh, uh, that both Jay Kerr and Terry Mixon are putting out in the world because it's definitely worth your time. Uh, uh, but speaking of time. Wait, wait, wait. Can I steal that word? Fabulosity. Fabulosity. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm going to use that in a story. I have to. It's, it's released under a Creative Commons attribution, uh, uh, non-commercial. Uh, <laughs> uh, non-commercial is what's broken. All right. Well, we'll work a side deal. We'll, we'll talk. Blog post then. All right. <laughs> we'll talk after the recording. We can work something out. Yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> friends, we're going to take a break. We're going to, Jake and I are going to hammer out the uh, the licensing of Fabulosity. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, we'll toss up a, a promo for, for a fabulous ebook or, or, or some other splendid podcast or what other Fabulosity is happening out there in the, in the potosphere. Uh, and when we return, gentlemen, I would love to workshop a story with both of you. What do you say that sounds awesome i love it i'm all in uh that's it it's texas hold'em at the round table friends don't you go anywhere we'll be right back in empire of bones commander jared mertz and princess kelsey scored a stunning victory over the savage pale ones yet they paid a terrible price for it one that left their ship crippled and changed the princess forever as Kelsey struggles to master the combat enhancements the Pale Ones forcibly implanted inside her, and Jared works feverishly to resurrect an ancient battlecruiser, they discover the Pale Ones aren't as defeated as they seemed. Jared and Kelsey race to unravel the secrets behind the ancient rebellion that destroyed galactic civilization and thwart unseen foes determined to take their new ship and their lives. If they fail, an entire planet dies. Veil of Shadows, book two in the Empire of Bones saga, written by Terry Mixon. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Roundtable Podcast. Woohoo! And here, dear friends, is where we get down to the meat and the potatoes and the dessert, because you just it's it's all one big mound of, of a smorgasbord of awesomeness uh, here at the Roundtable. This, dear friends, is... 
the Writer's Workshop. This is why you're here. This is why we're here. And this doesn't happen without a bold and courageous, a, a creative and courageous, courageous, courageous. yes, creative and courageous guest writer uh, stepping up and placing his, his infant child of an idea uh, <laughs> on the table for scrutiny. And dear friends, uh, uh, our guest writer for this episode writes, fantasy novels. He also dabbles with science fiction and horror short stories. He's the president of Pikes Peak Writers. Uh, when not writing, he flings code at the day job, homebrews great beers, spends time with his family, and plays way too many games of the card, board, and role-playing variety. He was originally spawned in the desert-ridden lands of West Texas, but got out of there as soon as he could at the tender age of 23. After a year in San Antonio and a year in the northern tundra of Montana, he settled for a nice in-between place, landing in the Colorado Springs area where he remains to this day. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here at the round table, J.T. Evans. J.T., dude... Everybody here on the Skype line right now knows how hard it is to do exactly what you're doing right now. So right up front, mad props and respect to you. And thank you for stepping up, man. We appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. And thanks for the intro. That was great. Uh, absolutely. I've seen role players. I think everybody here is a role player at some point in time in their life. Yes. Almost 40 years, yeah. There you go, Jake. <laughs> cool, cool. In, my, in my distant past, but, uh, you know, what is writing other than kind of crafting the narrative that you're going to do in a game anyway? Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. Between theater and role play and Tolkien, these are the main gateway drugs for, <laughs> for genre fiction writers in contemporary America. Wait, I, I thought it was getting chicks. Oh, oh no, that's not it at all. No, it, that's right up there with, for the money, dude. <laughs> you, you're you're barking up the wrong uh, uh, Dewey Decimal System for that, dude. That was that was motorcycles and guitars. I totally exactly. That's why you got into music, right? Benjamins and Beach Babes. That's what we're in writing for. <laughs> oh, oh, the misogyny just keeps scrolling out. Um, uh, <laughs> JT, help us out, man. We got to get out of this. Uh, uh, let, let's let's dive into the let's dive into the workshop proper here, dude. Um, okay, so we're gonna give you five to eight minutes. Give us the story pitch. Give us give us the title, uh, the genre, the format. Is it a novel, a short story? Give us the the the, the elevator pitch, the tagline, the introduces to the world and the themes, uh, the characters. Give us some basic tent poles of a story, uh, uh, and that'll set us on our way. I'm I'm gonna get out of the way, dude. The mic is all yours. All right, here we go. The work we're talking about today is a sword and sorcery story entitled The Illegitimate Priest. This is a novel-length work, and it is targeted for adult audiences. I hope to make this a series along the lines of Scott Lynch or maybe Fritz Lieber, and this is the first in that series. So the hook line. A.L. and Styles are sword-bearing vagabonds that become embroiled in the machinations of a secret cult and a gang's protection racket while searching the city for missing children and a runaway brother. They find themselves in over their heads battling fanatical priests, ruthless street toughs, and soulless children as they rescue as many innocents as possible and find the brother. Theme. Here's where I struggle. I really don't have a theme. I, I, I have a hard time coming up with those, so any assistance in that area would be great. The world. So the world, in air quotes, is actually just a single city named Mesnik. This is a secondary world roughly based on Earth's 1000 AD time period. Mesnik is a metropolis for its time period at around 20,000 people. 
Corruption is rampant throughout the city, but the neighborhood that our protagonists live in is currently dealing with the problem of missing children. The magic system. This uh, magic system is entirely based around the mouth. People speak, shout, whisper, groan, lick, eat, chew, spit, drink, and so on to invoke their particular flavor of magic. Each person, if he or she is lucky enough to have magic, is only able to perform one kind of magic. Some examples of these are blade whisperers, lock speakers, pain drinkers, earth grumblers, and so on. So under the protagonists, there's two of them in this story, A.L. and Styles. A.L. is a former slave in the gladiatorial arena, but earned her freedom roughly a year ago, which is also when she met Styles. A.L. was enslaved at the age of 14 when her village was destroyed by the emperor. She is now 19 years old. A.L. is a blade whisperer, which is what allowed her to excel in the arena. Before the destruction of her village, her mother educated A.L. at a high level. She is well-spoken and a critical thinker, but not all that street smart. A.L.'s greatest desire is to buy her brother's freedom from his owner. Her greatest fear is being thrown back into the arena of the sands. Styles is a street rat from the Warrens. As a child, he was traded between the street gangs for their pleasure. As a result, Styles has a hard time making friends or getting too close to people. Styles is a lock speaker, which allows him to manipulate locks and other small mechanical devices with his voice. He used his magical abilities to work his way up from street rat to burglar, and now earns enough coin through thievery to keep himself living outside the Warrens. He is now 20 years old. His greatest desire is to get off the streets on a permanent basis and own a home of his own. His greatest fear is re-entering the Warrens, even if only on a temporary basis. And at this point in my story idea, I really don't have much in a way of character arc or character changes. So again, any assistance in that area is very welcome. There are two primary antagonists, the River Dogs and the Temple of Bountiful Harvest. The River Dogs are a neighborhood street gang running a protection racket. They are also behind the missing children in the area. The Temple of Bountiful Harvest exists under the guise of divine guidance and food for the poor. They are really a front of a priest named Father Rauker, who is paying the river dogs for the children. Rauker is capturing the children's souls with the intent on using them to allow a malevolent spirit to manifest itself physically. A secondary antagonist is Master Winnen. Master Winnen is Ael's former owner and still owns Ael's little brother, Tarm. So on to the story. In the late evening, a friend of Ael and Stiles tells them that his daughter and one of her friends are now missing. They reassure the friend that they will do what they can to find the two girls. As they search the neighborhood for the girls, Master Winnen arrives on the scene to inform, to inform A.L. that Tarm has run away and threatens her with return to the arena unless Tarm is found. As they continue their search, a shop in the neighborhood explodes into flames. Stiles knows the shop. It's owned by the parents of a former lover. The lover explains that the river dogs are running a protection racket and threatened her parents. Styles swears to find the men responsible and bring them to justice, street justice. A woman's scream sounds and is suddenly cut off. The pair race to the source of the sound and find a cloaked figure running away with a small bundle. A chase ensues to the edge of the Warrens. Styles catches the man and rips the bundle away from him. It turns out to be a small baby. During the scuffle, the man's hood falls away to reveal a dog-faced mask. The man pulls a dagger and attacks. Styles manages to protect himself and the baby. During the fight, he pulls the dog mask from the man. Styles stumbles back in shock as he looks at a younger, masculine version of A.L. The man races into the Warrens before A.L. can arrive. 
Stiles tells A.L. that his suspicions are that the man in the mask was Tarm. Exhausted from their late-night activities, the pair take refuge under a bridge with some homeless people, where they learn more about how the river dogs are tearing apart their beloved neighborhood. Just before dawn, A.L. and Stiles follow a set of clues across the city to a blacksmith and discover everyone inside slaughtered. They collect more clues and turn to leave. The Emperor's Grey Watch bursts in and attempts to arrest them for murder. A.L. and Stiles make good their escape. The clues they gathered at the blacksmith reveal the location of the River Dog's leader to be near the edge of the Warrens. Along the way, they get caught up in a crowd pressing its way into the Temple of Bountiful Harvest. Suspecting something amiss, Stiles attaches himself to a lone woman with a baby. He is ushered into the southern wing, while A.L., who is without child, is guided into the northern wing. During the sermon, each child is marked with Rauker's blessing, which is applied with a small amount of oil on the forehead of the child. As A.L. and Stiles reunite outside, a young boy shoves a message into A.L.'s hand before running off. The message says, Today, in Master Wenin's handwriting. A.L. and Stiles arrive at the River Dog's leader's house. Fighting ensues, and the people in the house are defeated. The leader is taken captive and interrogated where the leader lets slip that Tarm is a new recruit, and the dogs are stealing children for a guy named Rauker. More gang members arrive on the scene, and more fighting ensues. A man in robes from the church stands behind the gang members. He immobilizes A.L. with a few guttural words. Stiles continues fighting and wins the day. He kills the man in the robes during the fight. As A.L. recovers, the leader of the gang starts threatening Stiles, A.L., and all of their friends with personal destruction by fire. Stiles tires of his blathering threats and puts a dagger in his eye. They plant evidence of the blacksmith killings on the gang leader. Once A.L. is fully recovered, they head to the Temple of Bountiful, Bountiful Harvest and sneak in the back. Stiles finds a secret way underground, and they walk through dark and close quarters to a room filled with curtained alcoves, glowing jars, and a priest chanting over Tarm on a stone table. A.L. and Stiles leap into action as mindless children rush from the alcove. A.L. and Stiles recognize some of the children as the ones missing from their area. They even personally know some of them. The pair fights the way as best they can through the children without hurting them too much. Stiles throws a dagger at the priest and misses. It breaks one of the jars. One of the children, who have made no verbal sounds to this point, screams in pain and collapses to the ground. Stiles throws whatever he has on him at the various jars. As the children continue to drop, A.L. and Stiles have an easier time getting to the priest. They close, and the priest turns from Tarm. During the fray, the shelves containing the jars are knocked over, and they all shatter. All of the remaining children fall to the ground with cries of agony. The priest eventually falls to A.L.'s blade. Stiles checks on the children who are beginning to wake up. They are mostly unharmed. Stiles works with A.L. and Tarn to gather the children together and lead them out of the temple to reunite them with their parents. Tarn is returned to Master Winnen's estate just before sunset. A.L. promises to save enough coin to buy her brother's freedom, which Master Winnen has raised again, uh, again with the air quotes, due to hardship and mental anguish of Tarn's disappearance. Later that night, A.L. and Stiles enjoy a few drinks at the neighborhood tavern with their friends. And that's it. Okay. All right. Very cool. Before we dive into this, JT, um, what are you hoping to get out of this uh, next, you know, 40, 45 minutes of, of intense brainstorming, sir? What, what would you like us to focus on? Um, I think probably three things. Uh, one, coming up with a theme that might help tie everything together more strongly. 
uh, kind of the bow on the package, so to speak. Um, also character art, character change, the, the, um, I'm almost envisioning this as a, uh, introductory story to get you to know the characters and they'll change over the course of the series, but there needs to be some sort of arc for the first book to, to, to really stand on its own. Sure, sure. Um, and then, uh, the last thing is if there's any holes in the plot, um, please feel free to point those out. <laughs> You've come to the right place, sir. <laughs> I think I think all three of those things are, are definitely on all of our dockets moving forward. So, but before we do that, uh, uh, we we need to, we need to cover our asses. Uh, uh, Terry, would you be so kind, good sir, and read the patented roundtable disclaimer? Absolutely, JT. You're about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important for you to realize that everything said from this point forward by myself. Dave or by Jake might be completely bullshit. This is your story and you decide what you want to use and what you don't want to use. Is that okay? That is absolutely for perfect. Fabulous. I've been groups for like nine years now. I, I, I think I can handle this. I think you can too. And, and I think, I think there's going to be some, some frothing goodness to be gleaned and some literary gold in your immediate future. So moving into this, uh, we, we like to start with a, a quick once around the table, just to, just to give first impressions of the story and ask some questions of clarification to, to nail some things down. And as is our custom, we'll lead off with our guest host. So Jake Kerr, uh, start us off, sir. What were your first impressions of JT's story idea? And, uh, what, what questions did you have to try and clarify things for yourself well i, I think the uh, my first thought was i absolutely love the magic system i like the idea uh you know uh the the concept of mouth-based magic and you took it beyond voice-based magic because there was uh, you know i think you had mentioned licking or saliva or something like that and there's pieces of that that uh, really sparked my imagination and i really really like that a lot uh, the other aspect of this, which I, I and I will go into detail later, which I, I don't think you necessarily handled well, but in terms of describing the uh, the plot as it were, but you have the bones of a great novel here or a great series, and that in and I liked it a lot is that you have two antagonists. Uh, you have kind of like the frontline fighters and in, in the uh, uh, with the river dogs, and you have the uh, the kind of behind the scenes. Uh, ominous religious sect in the background that's uh, that's fertile ground that has has been used many times in the past it's it's fertile ground that will be used many times in the future it gives you a lot of opportunity to layer in plot twists and changes and surprise the reader and like i said i like that a lot and uh, and uh, we will we will be discussing that a bit and then finally you know uh one of the things i really liked is uh you know, you have two characters that you describe as very, very different, uh, the kind of educated, uh, you know, badass woman and the uh, the kind of uh, street rat abused uh, boy. You, you kind of turn the uh, expectation of the reader on its head. And again, I like that a lot, but uh, there's some issues with that as well that I, I uh, we will be talking about. But that's that's my thoughts, uh, my immediate thoughts. OK, excellent. Terry, what about you, sir? I have to say the first thing that jumped out at me at hearing this is a strong similarity in, in a good way to uh, Fafard and the Gray Mouse or by yes. Chris Leiber. Yes. And that, that took me back. It's been many decades since I've read those stories, but it, it, it brought the same kind of flavor and excitement that I had for those particular novels as well. The, the one thing that I have a question for is you talked about the protagonist's fears. What I really want to know is what are their hopes? What are their plans? Because 
not only their fears, but their, their hopes and plans are what really guides them into what they're doing. And I don't feel like I understand them yet. JT, do you have any, uh, any, any insights you can share on their, their bigger ambitions? Their bigger ambitions is um, because the imp- they're, they're living in the capital city of the nation, which wasn't germane to the pitch. Um, but AL really would like to exact revenge for the mass executions that happened in her village on the emperor himself. So, so that is a very long-term goal of hers is to quite literally walk into the Emperor's Citadel and cut him down. Hmm. Um, nice. so that, that's a, a very long-term goal of hers. And she is going to try to, to gain the necessary allies and influence and contacts to be able to pull that off. That is actually really valuable to know. And you have to see that in there because one of the comments I was going to make, uh, you know, Styles, uh, his goal, ostensibly is he wants to be free. He wants to live the freedom that he's never had, the security that he's never had. And as I was hearing you talk about that, I was like, well, why doesn't he just leave? You know, why doesn't he just leave the main city? He's he's staying where he is. Now, that takes me back to Ayel, and uh, you, we can kind of think of the same thing. What's, you know, what are the anchors that are keeping them in this kind of situation? So I like what you just said about Ayel, because now it uh, kind of gives us a reason why she's going to be kind of, even after she, you know, uh, gets through the, the plot of this novel, why she would still kind of stick around this horrible place. The the question I have is for Styles. Why doesn't he just, uh, you know, he, he can walk right out, and if he wants freedom, why doesn't he take the freedom of the open road? That's a great point. Um, he feels that he is the protector of those that can't protect themselves because nobody could protect him when he couldn't protect himself. So he, he feels a, I don't know, a moral obligation to do for others what nobody could do for him. And he wants to try to do that here at home. Okay, so his his desire isn't to get off the streets and to own a home, as you said. His desire is to chain his revolution in in a in a kind of a broad sense. Sure, sure, to yeah. Change, to change the social order. That's a very very different motivation, and you and keep that in mind as you're kind of okay. writing the story. Like, uh, what can he do? little things that he can do that, that in his mind will kind of push him along that route. You don't have to explicitly say that's his goal up front. It might be helpful to do so, but you don't have to. But his actions will start to lead us to think that he's invested in more than just kind of hanging out and, and, and uh, you know, whatever uh, happens in the short term. Okay. Another thing that it's going to do is he is going to be known not only to the good people in that neighborhood, he's going yeah. to be known to the bad people as well. <laughs> he's going to have yes. a reputation That's and exactly you, need to, right. you need to make sure and play that portion into there because people are going to resent him sticking his nose into what they see as their business. And so there's a lot of opportunity for some side plots there. And and I, if you see what you've just done by describing those two things, you've just merged AL and Styles as revolutionaries in a sense. AL is, it might be thinking a little bit higher up the food chain, but they both want to bring around, bring about social change. So they share that kind of motivation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that really becomes a powerful, uh, kind of link between the two. Because one of my, my, my initial thought when you started describing the, uh, the plot was they are completely different people. Completely different. She's educated. You know, uh, comes from a distant village. He's a street rat who was abused and probably doesn't, you know, can barely speak the language in some form or fashion. You know, and how did they get together? Yet the story opens 
with them together. So you're going to either have to bring out some expository brilliance, uh, you know, uh, uh, gray mouser style, uh, right. or, or you're going to have to start this story a little bit earlier in the, in, in the plot because I, personally, I need to know how those two got together. Okay. Um, sure. Actually, I was going to uh, steal ideas from Saladin Ahmed's. Um, was it the throne of the crescent moon? He's got two very different characters that are together at the start of the book, but very quickly you learn why they're together. So I, I was going to try to pull that off. I don't know if I can do it as well as Saladin did, but uh, I'll, I'm going to give it a shot. Well, I'm glad you were thinking of that because uh, that's that's the comment that I was would make. And, and the fact that you're aware of that tells me that you, you, you got it down. So that's good. Yeah. Do you have any plans to highlight her education and her, her learning? Because you've talked uh, a lot about her using her sword skills, but I, I would like to see something where you've got something in mind with using her education to their advantage. Uh, yeah, she's going to uh, basically use um, more or less fast talking. She's going to use big words and fancy speech, you know, those uh, $5 words to confuse her opponents. When she's fighting, she talks. So I call it Dave Robinson words. <laughs> Dave Robinson words. I'm an adjective now. going to come out is actually during the fight scenes um, because she is very uh, verbose uh, verbally when she um, when she does her sword play. So she's kind of like a Mercutio or a Cyrano in there that regard. Okay. There you go. Cool. Well, that's, well, that certainly works. I'm I'm going to encourage you to find other ways to to use her to get in with something a little bit more advanced than that, some library, okay. some scribe, some some way, because she's got to have a way eventually to get to the emperor, and swinging a blade is not going to be enough. She should use that education to her advantage. Otherwise, it just feels like a checkmark in a box. There needs yeah, to be something a little bit more. I okay. do not agree more. I think that's an absolutely brilliant point. We're looking at a character kind of uh, nuance here, but you could turn it into a real asset. Uh, and also, you know, the interesting thing, you, you know, you were talking about uh, character arcs and things like that. You know, one of the things these are you're, you've built yourself characters that can be very complex. There's this, uh, you know, as Terry pointed out, that can be a real asset for her to get to places that uh, Styles never could, and vice versa. That could be a real, you know, uh, she's there are things that she'll be ignorant about, and, and I'm sure you've thought about this already uh, in the street and running around that uh, you know may hurt her just because. The, of where she was raised. But again, I, I'm fairly certain you probably already thought this through, but, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the things that I really like about this is these two characters are different and that gives you a lot of room for, for growth. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Terry, anything else for this first round? No, not for the first round. Okay. All right. Um, I'm, I'm going to agree. I, I definitely also got a very cool, now I call him Fofford and the Grey Mouser, but uh, yeah, the, the, the Fritz Leiber uh, uh, duo uh, that also Michael Sullivan has riffed on very much in his uh, uh, Ray Area uh, Chronicles yes. novels. Um, there's, I think there's room in the genre for more of that, you know, counterpoint uh, uh, buddy uh, uh genre uh, storytelling uh so kudos on that the other thing that really resonated for me and i don't know if you've read this series jt or not but the the thieves world series oh yeah yeah um uh the whole notion of of you know the the the, the dark underpit of fantasy the the nastiest city in all of genre fiction uh, uh that sanctuary was it sounds like like melznick could could also be that city 
uh, uh, and and oh, very much so, yeah. And because and especially when you were talking about how it's just in this neighborhood that this is happening. Uh, uh, I'm, I wonder if twenty thousand people is enough, and I'm not. Let, let's not riff on that. I'm, I'm sure. just making it a big enough city so that you can have those little boroughs and little mini polit- political areas and multiple street gangs. That that complex, rich cultural interweaving of of, of ideas and and power plays and so on is fabulous. Um, along those lines, I'm wondering if, uh, uh, because because ultimately, if Al's goal is to kill the emperor, they're going to be leaving the city. I wonder if it's the, the 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 king of the city or or the the high archduke of the city. Maybe he was responsible for uh, uh, giving the order of of the destruction of her village or whatever, and that is ultimately her goal. And that would keep her rooted in the city uh, uh, very closely and give a reason why she's here. Okay. okay. Just a thought. Just, just putting like that out that. there. I like that. Let me, um, let me throw a riff on that before you go on. Yeah. You can also be thinking of along the lines of Robin Hood and the Sheriff of Nottingham. The, the leader of the city might be the tool of the emperor. So there you, you can, go. You can go stages. Yeah. Sure. Nice. Nice. Absolutely. This, this guy carried out the, the, the execution, but the order came from on high. You know, this is a really great way to build a series, too. You have uh, they, they, they are peeling off the layers of the onion. And just when they think they've gotten to the last one, you know, there's one more left. And like, oh, you know, I, sure. we, have to, we have to kill more people, you know. And, and Yes, I killed your parents, but it was the emperor who ordered it. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Oh, damn. So, yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, I, I also agree with Jake. I love the uh, the idea of, of the mouth-based, the oral, uh, uh, in all the nuances of that term. Uh, actually, the, the sex workers of the city would actually probably have their own magic system, too. Yes, we are leveraging that explicit rating on iTunes right now, kids. And oddly <laughs> enough, I had never thought of that, and that is brilliant. <laughs> Charming with licking. There you go. <laughs> that, that actually dovetails with a comment I was going to make later, but I'll, I'll say now is uh, one of the things I really want to know, and, and this might not be the time to, to, to talk about it, but is what? how does the economy work? You know, we've got these groups, but uh, I'm curious how they all interact together. And, and what Dave just kind of outlined is a really great example of how knowing the, the broader economy can really layer in some really amazing uh, and provocative pieces of the story definitely yeah and that is one of the keys to making an authentic city is, is to at least know on your part jt uh, uh how that economy works and inevitably once you know that it'll start weaving itself into your stories and it'll it'll add that 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 depth and and resonance to to people's experience um one thing that i that, that disappointed me was that as cool as the magic system is and as unique as the magic system is it didn't play a part in the story and and when I when I hear about mouth magic, uh, uh, you know we're talking about a, a thematic aspect, a thematic element. It, I, I, magic for the sake of magic is is it, it can work, but I, I like to have a reason for for the choice of magic that this story or these stories work. And and I wonder if if I just you know put that on the table. I don't have a, a solution for that, but something about speaking about breath about communication and articulation something that allows the magic to reinforce in the same way that jake wanted to tie the science of of the old equations to the heart of the story i would love to see if we could take the magic system 
JT, that you've created and tie that into the story as well. Can I add a little comment here? Because I please, yeah, not agree with you more, Dave. I, I the the one thing that really made me kind of uh, pause plot wise was that the the bountiful harvest uh, group, the religious group, you know, their goal is to raise this kind of evil demon. And my expectation was, and this goes hand in hand with what Dave was talking about, that it was going to be related to the mouth magic. Like there was going to be something that they could do that would give the high priest the ability to speak and control the masses. There was going to be some kind of link to that. No, it's a silence demon. Yes. It'll it'll kill the magic. Perfect. Yes. That that kind of tie-in between the grand theme and the small pieces. And and what's really great about that is A.L., that's her power too. You know, it's kind of, she's, she's the uh, blade whisperer and, and, and you start to second guess yourself in terms of, uh, you know, or, or at least you, you realize what you're going to lose. And anyway, I'm rambling now, but, uh, I, I'm hand in hand with Dave on that. Yeah. That does bring one more question to mind for me. We've, we've talked magic. Does that flow from the gods or do the priesthood have different gods, different magic? We, we haven't mentioned gods, but we've mentioned priests. Ooh, good point. So um, I've written a trilogy with like the whole um, many, many gods and all that. And I got kind of tired of that. I wanted to go to more of a, a spirit based um, uh, gosh, theology, if you want to call it that, where there are literally dozens and dozens and dozens of spirits that are venerated uh, akin to God worship, but not. Not quite. It, it, it's almost like the, a, a Native American uh, spirit worship kind of thing. Okay. And where does the magic come from? Where, where, where did Blade Whispers and, and, and Lock Speakers get their, their magic from? Probably from the spirits as well. I haven't really thought about tying uh, the magic to a source, a mystical source yet. Um, just uh, uh, just haven't gone that far with the thinking. So okay. you, you really need to because sure. you've got to get the basic foundations of this story. You need to know where it is. Otherwise, you'll start writing into this. And the fact that it's unanchored to anything will bleed into what you're writing. Even if yeah. you never really explicitly say it so much, you sure. need to know where it is. And right? really, you know, you know what you're talking about here more than anything isn't just kind of like, you know, background magic. This is the politics of where they live. You're, what you're just describing it means there's not just one spirit and one high priest. There's going to be multiple. And yes. how do those, how do those groups interact in the streets? Does one of those groups actually come to the aid of AL and Styles? And they think that it's helping them, but it's really, they just have their own, you know, there's a lot of really great high po- political tension you can add that will really help your plot along the way. And the other, the other thing to bring into play is, is magic legal? Uh, is there, is there imperial sanctioned schools of magic and are there, are there renegade or illegal or dark magics? And how, how, how has an emperor managed to keep a world with blade whisperers and, and lock speakers and earth grumblers? Uh, how, how does he keep control in a world with that kind of power floating around? I've actually got answers for that. So okay. I, I have thought of that. So if uh, the the if the invocation of the magic is going from the body outward, so they're they're speaking, yelling, whispering, whatever, um, those are pretty more or less legal magics that because they're they're not consuming something else. But if you end up with like a pain drinker, they have they're consuming someone else's spirit in essence. And those are the dark magics. The I, I'm trying to avoid white black magic. I'd right, rather right. have a gray world. Um, but those are the ones that uh, will be 
if you use pain drinking during the commission of a crime, your punishment will be worse than if you didn't use the magic at all. Okay. You might want to keep in mind that while you want to keep it gray, the, the, there are people in the world that aren't going to keep it gray. There's going to be a, a circle of, of white wizards or whatever they call themselves that think sure. that they're working for the good. And there's going to be others that know that they're working in the dark. So don't keep the world gray if you like, but keep that in mind that, that the characters are going to be a little different sometimes. I, I think, I, you know, I'm going to say the same thing, but I think I'm going to, in some odd way, I'm going to agree with both of you. And, and I think there's a complexity around, this is really great. We're talking about world building right now. And these are the kind of things that really, uh, uh, grow into the narrative as you write it. And you think about what Terry just said. What if, you know, we have this outlawed magic because it's consuming, but what if there is someone who can consume wounds and thinks of themselves as a healer? And it's illegal for them to operate because of this arbitrary rule. And there's so many various things you can do with this where in all of these characters and all this complexity and all of the arbitrary rules of, uh, of legality, the multiple spirits, the, the, uh, the magic system, you know, all of these things, when you have them in your head, it will make their actual plot as it moves along just so much easier for you because you'll be looking okay. for, you'll be looking for some solution. And with all of this rich tapestry, it will be much easier to pull it out. And, and also find contrasts to, to the themes that, that you're pulling out there as well. That the antithesis against which these things grind and create the sparks and the froth that makes for conflict and growth and adventure. Um, I, I, I love world building. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I know. I know. You can I'm spend right, the entire time. I'm right there with building. you, Terry. I know. But uh, let me let me just. And that's me, by the way, that's why I write urban fantasy because I can't deal with world building at all. It's just I don't have. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's it's a it's a deep deep dark hole for for many of us. <laughs> um, one a couple of other observations, just real quick, JT. Um, you have a very complex story. Uh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of going over here there's there's blacksmiths with with dead bodies in it there's there's a lot going on and i my my instinct is that much of that i don't think is necessary or or if it is uh uh it's it's secondary to what i hope we're going to explore coming up here in in terms of theme uh uh one of the things that that came and went very quickly and and I, I was stunned that it, it didn't come up again was the fact that they find Tar Tarn. Is that her brother's uh, name? Tarm. Yeah. Tarm. The M. yeah. They discover Tarm is one of these river dogs. The brother that, that she's ready to, to, to lay a swath of dead bodies across a neighborhood to find is the actual is, is a bad guy. And that right there for me, at least uh, uh, is is a serious serious hook that I think could really uh, 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 consume the, the 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 whole theme thematically of the story that you're telling because you've got this gray world you've got this thing and and love is this one thing I mean this you know her love of her brother is the only thing that got Al through the gladiator pits uh, she knew she had to survive to in, in order to protect him and 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 keep him safe even though he's a slave uh, uh, you know that's it and then suddenly. Wait, what? You're you're stealing kids? Holy crap! And all of and, and her vision is shattered. Her, her everything she's built her life on is destroyed. How do you deal with that? That that for me was a much stronger point than it felt like uh, in the story. And I'd like to I'd like to put that out there on the table and see what everybody thinks about that. The other uh, uh, question 
the other simplification I, I wanted to suggest, you got a lot of antagonists. You got the River Dogs, you got Father Relker, and you got Winman. Win winning? Winning. Winning. What if, and I'm just in the, in the interest of simplification and, and also narrowing the reader's focus and your focus as a writer, what if we combine Father Relker and Winnin? What if nobody knows what Father Relker looks like? What if he's this shadowy figure? And what if Winnin is the guy who's really behind all of this? Uh, uh, what that does is, first of all, it, it cuts the cast list a little bit and keeps things sure. simple. Um, it also, at the end, if Winnin dies and Tarm is freed, then the expected happy ending we'd all want, oh, yay, Tarm and AL are reunited. And Tarm says, fuck you. I don't need you, sister. I'm out of here. I'm going to make my own way in this world. Gosh, I totally saw that the complete opposite of you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> if it's because... uh, I'm, I'm in the Dave camp with a variation. So uh, okay. this... what I what I was reading out of it and the way the story was told was the boy had left his master and he's trying to infiltrate rather than be a member of. I never oh. actually interpreted him actually really being one. I mean, why is he being sacrificed otherwise? Because he's in their plans trying to do something, someone he knows, not sure why, but it sure felt like he was also working against these same enemies. Yeah. When we first see him, though, he's an active participant mm -hmm. and uh, not in a way, and I could have, you know, we're getting a summary here and I may have misinterpreted, but he's an active participant and not in a way that you would expect a good infiltrator to act like reluctant. You know, it just seemed like he was, you know, uh, yeah, I, he seemed I, I'm with Dave. He seemed evil in that. In it, that it that does seem sense. it does seem that way. And the question I'll have is if he only just escaped from this from the from the place where he was a slave then how could he be involved in this so very quickly? Because I mean, he, well, he didn't escape. Night and day. He, he was recruited. You know what? We're, we're, we're kind of wasting uh, this conversation because I think the better question to ask here is, is this story better with him a good guy or is it better with him a bad guy? And, yeah, and, ultimately, and ultimately, that's JT's uh, question to answer. In a sense of, does he want him to be a good guy or a bad guy? Um, yeah, I, I'm actually not sure. I had envisioned him as a... Um, uh, good guy, uh, or maybe just uh, middle of the road, because he's not going to be a main character, at least not for a while, a few books, that is. Uh, but having him as a bad guy, that that's huge. I like that. Well, and, and maybe not even a bad guy, but maybe, you know, they, they come from another tribe. They're, 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 their family was destroyed. They were brought in. A.L. is clinging to the old ways, and Tarm is eager to embrace this new home. He's abandoning his culture and his heritage. He's seduced, he's seduced by the bad ways. He's not necessarily bad. Uh, sure. And he could go either way at the end, you know, whether that's book two, three, four, or what have you. So. Sure. Uh, and that that plays into your gray, the complexity of the world. We have someone who isn't good, who isn't bad, is could turn out to be either. Uh, I like that a lot as and well. And that creates a great tension for Al, you know, an anguish. Uh, uh, that, and and part of her growth is, you know, she if if you go with the idea that her brother is the only thing that got her through the the gladiator pits, uh, uh, then you know everything that she's built her her survival on up to this point has been pulled out from under her. What a great place to put a character uh, uh, early in a story. Dave mentioned a word that I really was going to get to, and I'm, I'm glad he brought it up, and that is tension. And uh, 
you know, uh, and I don't know if you guys, uh, my fellow roundtable members agree with me, but as I was hearing the plot being kind of described to us, the tale being told, I, I, m- most of the tension, I think, Terry, you hinted at this earlier, felt very kind of uh, kind of manufactured to me. Mm-hmm. I wanted that shock of the, you know, brother being a bad guy or is he not? I wanted, you know, when they, uh, uh, you know, as Terry mentioned, the, the blacksmith, does that even belong there? It, it seemed like you had to create a, a plot point and you created it. And, and there's, I think there's a lot of examples here where, uh, you're, you kind of create a challenge and then you make the solution too easy. At one point, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a message handed to someone that, you know, is there an easier way to get to the goal line than handing someone a message in their hand? I mean, it's very convenient. The bottles of souls at the end, I love the idea that the souls are in bottles, but the fact that all I have to do is break them and toss stuff at them. I mean, we all know the story of J.K. Rowling. She she wrote herself into a corner with the, uh, you know, the time turner. So what did she do? She broke them all. You know, that, that was a very convenient way to solve that <laughs> problem. And I think what I'm seeing here in a lot of the tension, you you kind of create it artificially and then you resolve it too easily to kind of get to that end that you want to sprint toward. So I would uh, kind of challenge you. And, and again, I, I, I invite my roundtable uh, compadres here to uh, to shoot me down or, or, or provide better context. I would I would kind of challenge you to think of things that are higher you know, what are higher stakes than murdered bodies at a blacksmith? What are the higher stakes? And we already mentioned one, the brother who may not be who we think he is. What other stakes can you bring uh, to the table that kind of push this narrative in a way that keeps us on the, the edge of our seats as we turn the page? Okay. okay. Yeah. I, I hear you. I really do. And, one way and- you could do that, I think, is because the sister is going to want to think the best of her brother. Her partner could think the worst, and that could be a point of tension between the two. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 that makes sense because Styles would be the more jaded of the two. Uh, and and speaking of Styles, how old is Styles? You told us that Al is nineteen. How old is Styles? He's twenty. Okay, so these are still fairly young people. Yes, uh, and and still still defining who and what they are. Um, for Styles, I just wanted to put out there, and just in terms of of ratcheting up attention and giving giving these people some demon inner demon they have to wrestle with. Um, he's a thief. He he grew up in privation. Uh, uh, he he has known hunger. Uh, uh, he has known squalor. He's known getting a boot in the face because he wasn't in with the right gang or whatever. Uh, uh, and, and now he has learned, he has found skills and a tool that can give him all the things he wants. And, and at the same time, I love that, you know, this, this, this noble sense of, of being a protector, I, I would, I would, I would temper that a little bit and maybe narrow it to a neighborhood, uh, or, or a class of people and let it grow and evolve from that. Uh, uh cause it, it makes him a paladin. It makes him a paladin thief. You know, uh, one, uh, of the, one of the things you can do in situations like this is give him the, 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 the fantasy version of the Kobayashi Maru. Yes. May, maybe he has a child that he can save, but in saving that child, he cannot defeat the uh you know uh the the bountiful harvest people or the river dogs he 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 is faced with uh you know that's the kind of conflict i'm looking for i really want to see him faced with a challenge that 
he, you know, seems almost unsolvable. And maybe he just threw uh, some new magic or, or some kind of way, not a cheat, but, so, you know, he solves it in a way that resolves itself. It can be painful for him. It can be painful in some other way. But by resolving that, we build toward a more rich uh, kind of conclusion. Yeah. I, and I wanted to comment another th- uh, on another thing that Dave said uh, that I thought was uh, brilliant, and, and that was the, the concept of simplification. I think one of the things that uh, y- you kind of crush a bigger story into a small story. We have uh, – I almost see it like building cres- – growing waves to a crescendo. And uh, the uh, – I, I, th- I honestly think the, the kind of – I don't necessarily think this is the way you should go, but I almost think the river dogs could be a standalone novel. And then it's like I said earlier, where it's like you, you, you uh, as uh, uh, you know, he kills the emperor and then you find out someone else was behind the scenes. Well, maybe they think that the river dogs are the be all end all. And those are the ones that, uh, and they finally get, they finally conquer the river dogs and they find out that the uh, Bountiful Harvest is behind it and we're set up for book two. I think that you've kind of, uh, you know, in the concept of simplification, you're, you're, you're piling too much in that's kind of forcing you to, to make these kind of quick, uh, convenient escapes and, and artificial conflicts. Uh, I think if you take your, take a breath, slow down, take the characters, think about the things that cause them pain, Think about the things that they want to do. They want to be, they want to save everyone. And then that first step, what is that first step? And that first step actually, they think it's the final step, but it really is that first step. So, uh, I'll end with my, my kind of critique with that. I agree with Dave that, uh, you don't necessarily have to do what I'm saying, but think of them as not concurrent plots, but one plot that evolves from the first plot. Okay. Very good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'll Love create. It, Jake, that's awesome. Yeah, that'll that'll create a more structured development, and and JT make your job easier. You're not doing everything all at once. You can you can build in that progression, that that peeling of the onion, as as, as Jake said. And you I don't also- see the mind map that I've created for this plot, and it, and it, <laughs> it, it is crazy, crazy. <laughs> that also resolves. I, I think Terry was absolutely correct when he was talking about maybe that's one character, but maybe this resolves that because you now don't have three antagonists. You have one and a side antagonist that just makes things difficult for them to get to that final step. You know what I mean? So right. it clarified what Terry was talking about as well. You yeah. got a lot of options here. You, you really do. You really do. And and guys, we're starting to run out of time. So uh, uh, Jake, we, we've got one more maybe quick exchange before we dive into the the final wrap up. What would you like us to focus on? Is there anything that uh, you're you're just burning to to tap this incredible wellspring of creative mojo for? You know, it's I think we basically covered everything. I, I my, my two big points here, and I think it's interesting that one of the things that uh, JT wanted to talk about was theme. And uh, so I would say let's 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 point out three things. One is I think there is a theme here, and I think it's not freedom necessarily. It's it's kind of like revolution. They it's a new world order that you know they live in this you know, cesspool of a city and it hurts everyone. And it seems like our protagonists are really uh, want to change that. And I think that's really powerful. The, the fact that one person can make a difference is perhaps your theme. And okay. uh, that that's two people, you know, two people uh, can make a difference. Uh, the second point I would make is I really do think your plot is too complex. I agree with Dave that it needs to be a little bit more simpler. And the process of that is how do you find those points of tension that make a simpler plot 
more rich. That is all of the things we talked about before, whether it's the magic system, the politics behind the magic system, all of those things, the, the personal interactions of Tarm and AL, uh, you know, all of those things can really create a tension that's so much more powerful than babies around a burnt, uh, uh, forge. Mm-hmm. And that's it for me. Yeah, I, I think we are kind of going into that final wrap up. Terry, what what are your what are your final thoughts and and considerations uh, for the for the story moving forward? I would say don't forget your secondary characters. You talked about mm. things like the Imperial Guard. Put a face on that. Good. Create yes. somebody that you can use from that. You you've got the the thieves. I'm not going to say thieves guild. You've you've got the various groups that work here. Don't leave them as like just the Dog Brothers or whatever their name actually is. You've got to have a face on them. You've got to have someone to give them a flavor of personality that you can come back to and visit again and again as the story goes further along. Those characters can be a touch point and a wellspring for other plot points as the stories and the characters develop. That's great advice. Yes. What what else? I know there's more bubbling in that brain of yours, Mixon. Oh, there's there's too much to too much bubbling in there to get into in the short <laughs> amount of time that we've got left. Okay, throw out throw out one more. One more one more bon mot. Hint at where you're going. I mean, you, you've said yes there. The overall goal is to overthrow the emperor. But if they don't know that, you've got to have the story flow, at least hinting to the reader what direction that you're going there. Even if the characters don't know precisely it yet, you've got to have something there. I'm, I'm not quite sure how to phrase it, but it seems like there's a, a flavor missing. I, You know what? Sure. That is a great point, Terry, and I would call that a theme of self-discovery. They don't know what their goal is. And as they discover what their goal is, they get wrapped up in all of this stuff that's bigger than both of them, but it's all tied into what they want to do. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And that's character growth there. Absolutely. Yep. Because yep. it changes okay. them. Yep. I completely agree. And, and, and I think, JT, moving forward, as you, uh, uh, as you look at AL, I, I really, I think AL and Styles, Maybe maybe some 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 discovery fiction. Just doing their backstory. Uh, uh, do do a story of Al uh, going to the market, and 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 seeing somebody getting beat up, and what does she do, and how does she react? Uh, uh, do the same thing for Styles. Uh, uh, know these characters more. Uh, if Al's greatest fear is to be thrown back into the pits, then by God, throw her back into the pits. So, are you saying, Dave? Uh, maybe use a. Uh, use of flashbacks, a, a really well done use of flashbacks, perhaps. I, I'm not behind I, me, Satan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually saying outside of the story, beyond the context of writing this novel, uh, uh, as a completely separate exercise, purely as an exercise, something that may never get published. Uh, but, but, give, JT, give yourself a chance to. Uh, uh, here, here's an exercise. Uh, uh, Al's walking down the street, and and somebody uh, asks her a question. Al, what do you think about slavery? And then write the answer from Al's in Al's words, just the dialogue, just the words. How does she speak? What are her thoughts on this? Uh, uh, exercises where it forces you to understand these characters, not just how they react, but what what their overarching ambitions are. Uh, if the answer involves violence, then submit it to Heroic Fantasy Quarterly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, like I say, if AL's greatest fear is to be thrown back into the pits, then do it and find out how she responds. If if Styles' greatest fear, maybe his greatest fear is to be helpless, then hamstring him, cripple him, make him helpless, 
and see what happens. Uh, because those fears are a stage of development. Uh, uh, there's always something on the other side, but the characters can't see what that is. And once they confront those fears and are forced to either be crushed by them or push through them, that's where you, JT, learn what they're really made of. Are they heroes? Is this a heroic tale or is this a tragic tale? And and maybe it's a little bit of both because it sounds like you like the gray stuff. <laughs> so um, uh, I would also urge you to to really dig into the mouth magic. The other thing that occurred to me is the food industry. Basically, anything that has to do with the mouth kissing, kissing the, the rituals that would evolve in this in this city, in this world. And maybe it is just in this city. I don't know. Um, but but the rituals that would evolve with magic with the mouth being such a powerful thing. And it goes back to Jake's thing about, about revolution. Revolution is very much about speaking out and, and being heard and being understood and, and having your voice mean something uh, uh, and exploring that as a theme. Cause once, once you have these character arcs and the thematic essence in there, then all of these events that you're, that you're, I agree. It feels like they're being forced into one after another. Suddenly it's like, God, I need to give them this experience in order for them to grow. So that experience occurs. And once that happens, you discover more about them. And then another thing happens and, and the, the growth of the plot becomes much more organic. Uh, so, so those, those are my closing thoughts, uh, for, for you, JT. Uh, and, and I gotta tell you, man, dude, thank you so much, uh, uh, yeah, for stepping up and bringing the story. This has been awesome. Yeah. Really well done. Well, thank you. Thank you. No, this has been fantastic. I, I've got a hand cramp now and uh, I don't know, two and a half pages of notes. Thank space. God it's recorded. You can play it back and do it all over again. I plan on doing that. I plan on doing that. Yeah. Well, JT, here's the deal. As it always is here on the round table, you write this story, you finish it, you put it out there, whether it's trad pub, self pub, indie pub, you, you put it in a PDF on your website does not matter. You let us know when that happens. If it's out in the world and people are reading it, we will bring you back and we will knight you, sir. We will make you a knight of the round table podcast. That's the deal, bud. You down with that? I am down with that. <laughs> that is awesome. I fought in the SCA for years and never made it to knighthood. So um, I, I will uh, gladly do this. Fabulous. Looking forward was... to seeing Sir JT. Sir JT. <laughs> right I, on. I got to tell you, JT, that um, I was – I. Uh, Played in Anstiora for many long years and was um, uh, a squire to um, uh, Earl Gerard many, okay. many decades ago. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> Terry, I swear, every time you turn around, there's another facet of you. We didn't know. This is intriguing. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, trained by a fellow who is uh, now Duke Aaron McGregor. He, he uh, really was uh, very uh, formative in my martial arts. Wow. God, I'm not going to piss any of you off. <laughs> oh, I've, I've, I've got to dig up my uh, my heavy armor from somewhere. It's been two decades since I put it on. It's not going to fit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> picks, picks. We want pictures. I uh, I uh, played I played adventure on Atari. 
There you go. Right on, dude. I'm with you, Jake. And Jake Kerr, sir, thank you so much. You are why we bring on uh, guest hosts of of experience and 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 wisdom into these discussions. This has been outstanding, and I am so grateful that you that you made the time and you joined us in this froth. Thank you, sir. Dave, you are the guy, as I said, (laughs) and and I enjoyed the hell out of this. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. Outstanding, my pleasure. And Terry Mixon, my co-host, sir. Uh, uh, I, I will be listening for you at the Dead Robot Society. But as always, uh, it is it is always a pleasure to have you sitting beside me uh, in the co-pilot's chair, man. Thank you. Anytime you'll have me, man. It's a pleasure. Ah, outstanding. Uh, and dear friends, as long as we're doling out the gratitude, thank you for tuning in. You are why we're doing this. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of guys flailing on the Skype line. And that's kind of pathetic. Isn't, isn't that what we're doing? <laughs> no, no, this is noble. This is a noble pursuit. We're, we're enlightening the world with, with uh, uh, new ways to explore the, the collaborative creative process. That's what I tell myself anyway. Dave, Dave, I just got to say, man, you are a master of mouth magic. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I got to put that on my business card now too. <laughs> Buttery man voice, master of mouth magic. He licks his microphone before every podcast. <laughs> Cast. There you go. <laughs> God, <laughs> the visuals. Oh man, uh, friends, if <laughs> if you're not completely grossed out at that image, uh, please do consider uh, uh, swinging out to iTunes and dropping us a review out there. And as always, thank you so much for the wonderful feedback that we found out in those reviews on iTunes. Uh, all of them are read. All of them are appreciated. And uh, one more would would certainly help boost us in the ratings. Uh, we do have a forum now on the Roundtable. Uh, podcast website the newly improved and very sexy uh roundtable podcast website so feel free if you've got ideas for jt let's keep the discussion going and have it happen out there in the in the round ta- rtp forums uh uh so wow holy crap don't forget facebook Oh, yes, and Facebook, there's the Rotano Rimo group, uh, a, a private group, but uh, uh, we can always expand our borders for one more awesome literary alchemist. Look for us out there. Ah, well, friends, I'm, as always, lighting up a cigarette and kind of kicking back going, holy crap, that was awesome. Uh, but the fabulosity of the roundtable is that in seven days, this starts up all over again. We get another amazing guest host bringing words of wisdom to our ears. We get another courageous guest writer stepping up and offering a story for, for brainstorming awesomeness. More roundtable gloriosity to be had every single week. But dang, that's a week. That's a long time. And... I know you're all going, but what do we do, Dave? Terry, Terry, what should they do between now and seven days from now? Right. Duh. Duh. Just right. Get your stories in the world and the world becomes a more fabulous place. And I will tell you, as always, dear friends, you find what you're looking for. So look for the blue label top shelf goodness. Look for that brightly wrapped package in the back of the tree with your name on it. And if you look for it, dear friends, I promise you, you will find it. We will see you in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, be frothy, be awesome. And we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye. We'll be back. (laughs) Get to the chopper. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it. 
but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.